Coming at you from the Steel City, you're listening to Poor Man's Podcast, Pittsburgh's premier comedy podcast. Your weekly dose of humor hosted by Chris Hopper and with a new special guest each week. And here's your host, Chris Hopper. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Poor Man's Podcast, Spaced Out, with Chris Hopper and James Sanders. Hello. How are you doing tonight, James? Oh, I'm doing wonderfully. I am really excited to talk about this. Good. I'm excited, too. Um, Go back, if you haven't already, go back, listen to our first episode. We did Black Holes. Tonight, we're going to do some exoplanets, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to talk about that. I uh, I did. I was going to do a little research before, and I wanted to find out about some planets outside of our solar system, and I guess I didn't see a lot. Is there, there, there's, is there is there, uh, a lot. I mean, I, yeah, I know there's yeah, a lot yeah. of planets, but I didn't see a lot of information that, um, like I didn't see names <clears throat> of things or, or how much we actually know about it. So, right. Um, on a very surface level investigation, I couldn't find too much. So I'd like to go about um, seeing what you know about it. Yeah. And um, so are there actual like planets that we can see in other solar systems or are they just like we know they're there, but we can't we know their size, but we see them in in a way, okay. right? Like it's not like if you got a telescope out and looked at Saturn, yeah. It's it's not like that, right? Right. Um, we we have different methods of finding exoplanets around other stars, and one of them does involve air quote looking at the planet, yeah. and it is looking at the planet, but it's like you put like a telescope up, you block out the star. And uh-huh. then you look for something shiny next to the star. Okay. Right? Because that would be the star's light bouncing off of that planet. Okay. Um, and you can, we do have, we do have things that can resolve that. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that's just what it would be. It would just be a indistinguishable dot okay. uh, to the eye. Yeah. So how, do, I guess, how do we know there are planets and how many just, we just see lights, we see 5,000 lights or whatever, how many in the sky? Yeah, so there, there's um, there's a couple of different methods that we use. So the one I just uh, said was is called direct imaging. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the more popular methods is transit detection. So that's where you kind of stare at the star with really really sensitive equipment, and you just stare at it and wait for something to move in front of the star. Yeah, and that will lower the amount of light that reaches the telescope. Just ever so slightly, not that, not like the human eye could see, but yeah. it would it would be enough for the equipment to detect right. it, and then they'd be like, "Oh, something passed in front of it," and then they have to wait for it to go around to do it again because they're like, "We don't know if it was a bug. We yeah. don't know if what what if something got in between us, right?" So they have to wait for it to go around a couple times because it will be very periodic. It'll be very regular. Uh, so that's transiting method. That's that's how we find a lot of our planets the majority of the planets that exoplanets that we find around other stars use that method and then the second most popular method that we use is the name's not all that important but just just for the sake of saying what they call it is radial velocity Uh so what that is is just whenever you have something orbiting something else like the earth orbiting the sun Uh or the moon orbiting earth um, they're actually orbiting each other, right? So the Earth is just as much orbiting the moon as the moon is orbiting us, and the sun is just as much orbiting the Earth as the Earth is orbiting the sun. Um, but where they appear to kind of dance around depends on how massive each object is, right? So for the sun and Earth, the sun is way more massive than mm-hmm. the Earth, millions of times more massive than the Earth. So... This point that they dance around is called the barycenter. Mm-hmm. That barycenter is just ever so slightly off-center from the sun. Mm-hmm. The moon and the earth, their barycenter, it's a little further out. It's like it's still inside the earth, but it's enough that the you can notice the earth like wiggling if you had the equipment for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Pluto and its moon, Charon, uh, 
they are pretty equal in size. And so the point they dance around is outside of Pluto and outside of Sharon. So they just, they are literally dancing around each other like a beautiful cosmic dance. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so that, that applies for everything in the universe. Yeah. So we stare at the star and we just look at how it wobbles. Yeah. And we can not only tell if there's possibly a planet orbiting that, but we also get insight into how massive or how much that planet weighs, how, how much mass it has. How are they able to tell all of that just by the the light changing? Math. <laughs> um, well, it wouldn't be the light changing. For that so one, like it would be the star wobbling. Uh, okay, the wobble. Um, for transiting, that's slightly harder to tell how massive it is, right? Um, in fact, when I was doing some research, one of the... Um, one of the planets that is in a system that is so similar to ours, yeah. this, the, its star is almost the same mass and temperature as our star. Um, the planet is almost the same. Well, it's about 50% bigger than the Earth, okay. but it's pretty similar, and it orbits at a pretty similar distance, right? Uh, there were like a, there were at least two different papers saying, no, the last guy got the radius wrong. Uh-huh. Right, how big it is? They that guy got it wrong, so it's a little more difficult to tell with that. Now, you wouldn't necessarily be able to say how big the planet is with the wobble method, yeah. Uh, but you can say how massive it is, right? And then you would just look at it transiting to find out how big it is. I'm I'm sure the answer is just math again, but yeah. um, how how can you tell? Like, say you were holding up a quarter, you know, a foot away, it looks like this. Right. But if you were holding up a dime slightly closer, it would look like the same size. Right. Do you know what I mean? So how could they tell maybe this, the planet's smaller or the star's smaller, whatever it is, or it's closer, or how do you tell? So that's so the key, the key information there to tell is knowing how far away it is. Right. So like you said, like you can hold out a quarter further and have a dime here and they're the same size because the quarter is further away. Yeah. Right. And so if you know how far the system is away um, and we can tell that with uh, the light from the star, um, we can say, okay, so it's this far away. So through trigonometry, we can say it has it is this in diameter. Right. So that's that's how we figure out how how big a planet is. Just by looking at the star's light. That's so crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. It's I. Wh- whenever I think about it, I'm like, I, when when I think about the scientists that came before us, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, how did they figure this out? Yeah. Like I'm like, would I be able to figure this out? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. I think of that all the time. Like if I was just thrown in the woods, how long would it take for me to like make a toaster? Like. <laughs> It would take, I would never come to it, like, or something so basic, like, I could never do that. And then people are making telescopes and stuff. It's, right. It blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, it's just people who don't have other hobbies. Yeah. That's, those are those scientists, I guess. Well, you know what? I, I wanted to kind of start with this question. It's just a little bit of background, like, what even is a planet by mm-hmm. definition? Because uh, Jess, my fiance upstairs, I have her, uh, I, she wanted this shirt that said, leave Pluto alone or something like that, you know, sticking up for Pluto's rights. And um, so what is a planet, I guess, and why did uh, Pluto get the boot? So we were pretty loose on the definition of a planet um, back yonder. Uh, even just a little before I was born, they yeah. were looser on it. Um, at some point when we were, when we had like the planets up on a poster in like a classroom, yeah. there are dwarf planets in the asteroid belt that used to be counted as planets. Yeah. Ceres used to be considered a planet. But at a certain point, they were yeah. like, okay, we're discovering a lot of things in this yeah. area. I don't think these are planets anymore, right? So they yeah. we we um, reclassified them. Uh, when Pluto was discovered, it was discovered by a farm boy with a with a not terribly powerful telescope, but with a lot of dedication. Yeah. Um. And so he could barely resolve Pluto. Yeah. Um. But Pluto lives in an area very similar to our asteroid belt. So the asteroid belt is just a lot of leftover crap between Mars and Jupiter. 
Uh, it's kind of everything that didn't become a planet is yeah. there, uh, shepherded by the gravity of Mars and, and Jupiter. Uh, further past Neptune, which is the furthest planet that we are aware of in our solar system, um, there is another area called the Kuiper Belt, and it's that's very it's very similar to the asteroid belt. Only instead of predominantly rocky objects, it is like icy rocky objects. Uh-huh. Um, and we kept finding more things out there, and we were like, "There's too much here." So let me give you the definition of a planet. So it's it's very simple. Very simply, it has to be massive enough that gravity has smushed it into a sphere. Right, so it can't look like a potato asteroid. It has to be round oh, wow. and spherical, okay. um, and it has to dominate its orbit. And what that means is, it has to be the own. It has to be the main thing in its orbit. So, yeah. Ceres is in the asteroid belt. There are tons of asteroids out there, and other dwarf planets in in the in the asteroid belt. So, it did not dominate its orbit, and neither did the others. Yeah. So we kept finding more things further out in the Kuiper Belt, and we were like, <clears throat> it looks like Pluto has not dominated its orbit, right? And so they're like, by the definition that we set forth as a planet, yeah. we, we, we have to consider it a dwarf planet. And, you know, I, get, I do hear a lot of people saying, like, you know, it's not fair to Pluto, right? Yeah. But I always tell them, I, it's like... It's like knowing where you belong kind of thing, right? Because, like, G- <laughs> yeah. Pluto used to be the dinkiest planet, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, look at Pluto. He's so small, right? Yeah. Now he's one of the larger Kuiper Belt objects, yeah. Yeah. right? So it's like, you yeah. know, do you want him to be a <laughs> yeah. really small planet or a really big Kuiper Belt exactly, object? Exactly, man. Yeah. You, you want to be the best minor league baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'll, I like that. So I guess based on that, it can be made out of gas. It can be solid. It can be whatever. Right. Are there... Well, I guess we wouldn't now. Um, are we able to tell? Because I feel like I've, I've seen something where maybe it's just speculation of planets with like a methane ocean or something like that um, where it's so cold, like the gas is liquid or so hot. I, I don't know which one. I think it's cold. Yeah. But... Um, are they just speculating on what could possibly be out there, or are there wobbles that make us think that there's a planet, or is there anything we, we are going on, or is it just, just speculation, I guess? Yeah, no, you hit the nail pretty hard on the head there. It's, it's looking out at the object and yeah. saying, like, it is this far from its star, and its star is this kind of star, so it has to be roughly about this temperature out there. And with that in mind, because we see methane in the atmosphere, and methane... Methane does not last very long as a a molecule. It it breaks down. So after 12 years, it breaks down into something else. So if you see methane on an exoplanet or anywhere, then it would be saying, okay, this is being supplied by something mm-hmm. because 12 years, like 200,000 years is small compared right. to the life of <laughs> yeah. a solar system. 12 right. years yeah. is like blinking your yeah. eye. That's a small so, window to find. So if you find methane, then it's like it, it there has to be yeah. some sort of steady stream of it. And that would be, Liquid methane. Um, our Saturn's in our own solar system. Saturn's moon Titan mm-hmm. has lakes of methane on it. Okay, um, and it has a thick atmosphere of nitrogen and methane. Maybe that's what I was. What I saw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. it's it's very yeah. possible because there are. We have found. We do. We believe. Yeah. We have found methane on other exoplanets. Yeah. And so that's 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 the kind of um, the language that. Uh, when, you know, whenever you're doing science communication, right, yeah. you want to excite people, right? Yeah. And saying, like, maybe this is there. <laughs> yeah. that, but that's that's what we have to say, yeah. right? Because it's like, we aren't splashing into puddles of methane. So yeah. we, 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 we are guessing based on what we see and what we think we know mm-hmm. what that planet, that exoplanet, could possibly look like and what it might be, what it might harbor. Yeah. Right. So what what's the what so the, the difference I guess by definition of a planet versus a moon? 
So, um, very simply, a moon orbits something else. So, like, it's... It, but it can it's round. It doesn't have to be anything like that. Or uh, Mars actually has a potato shaped moon. Yeah. Um. There, we're not as strict about what a moon <laughs> yeah. is. Like if you look at Saturn yeah. or Jupiter, yeah. it ha- Jupiter has ninety some moons, oh, but a wow. lot of them are dinky little things, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So it's just like it's just orbiting Jupiter, yeah. and it's smaller, and Jupiter okay, is the yeah. dominant uh, yeah, yeah. object there. So it's yeah, it's it's very simply just. Is it smaller and is it orbiting that thing? Yeah. Right. Is it is it like almost like a hierarchy of planet to moon to is there something that will circle a moon? I mean, yeah, I guess I guess a moon well so it would be difficult for a moon to have a moon yeah. because <laughs> like if if an uh if a small meteoroid came in between the Earth and the moon, yeah. it's going to decide to orbit the Earth because okay, the Earth yeah. has more gravity, yeah. has a, a greater gravitational force on it um, that just overpowers the moon's gravity yeah. uh, when that meteoroid is deciding yeah. which one it wants to orbit to anthrop- uh, anthropomorphize it. But, um, yeah, so it's it's pretty much if there's a bigger dominant force there, yeah. it's going to take it. It's greedy. So I think maybe just because I'm used to the Earth and then our moon, right. I'm picturing the moon to just be like a rock kind of thing, um, exactly like our moon. Mm-hmm. Um, would it be just as likely that humans could inhabit a moon versus you know Jupiter or something? Is there water or something, uh, ice on any of these, ex- or uh, I guess moons? It is 100% possible. Okay. Um, so one of Jupiter's moons uh, is particularly interesting to us. It is it is a Galilean moon because okay. it's one of the four Galileo discovered. Um, it's a Galilean moon named Europa. Okay. And Europa is a very icy object. So it has a surface of ice, and underneath it, it has an ocean of liquid water. Oh, cool. And we know that because here on Earth and on some moons, we have volcanoes, right? So it's we have molten magma yeah. underneath our our Earth's crust, and we have these holes coming up through it in the way of volcanoes, and it spews out lava, like molten rock, right? Uh-huh. Europa has cryovolcanism meaning that it has volcanoes of ice and water. So, and it's and because uh Jupiter is tugging on Europa and the other moons are tugging on Europa and it's kind of like if you like keep stretching a rubber band really really fast, mm-hmm. the rubber band will feel like it's heating up. Exact same things happening, right? So, the huh. ice on the surface, ice is an excellent insulator. <clears throat> it keeps the heat that is being generated from being tugged on by everything nearby Europa. It keeps that heat in underneath that surface of ice, mm-hmm. and it keeps the water underneath liquid. Um, but with heat builds pressure, and so sometimes it has to release that pressure via volcanoes of ice and water. So we can have moons. Uh, Titan has its own atmosphere, very thick yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, it's only slightly bigger than our moon. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, it's absolutely possible that you could have a moon be able to harbor life if it has the right things. Um, so for that moon that has the, the ice and then the water underneath it. Right. Does it, I mean, that means that the temperature underneath would have to be above freezing. Yeah. How, would, how does it get that temperature that far away? Um, it's because of Jupiter's gravity. Pulling yeah. on it and other th- and the other moons yeah. that are near Europa pulling on it that generates the heat. That's the that's pretty much the only thing generating the heat that is uh, so keeping like, that water liquid. So could humans go there and we, feel that same heat? If we went under the surface, I don't know how cold it is. Yeah. You know, you can have a you can have a river be too cold to swim in, but yeah, yeah. Um, like what we we're not quite ready to go to Europa yet. Uh, we are ready to uh, one one mission that we want to do is we want to send a probe there to like orbit close to Europa and scoop up some water that's yeah. being shot out and then bring it back and see if there's anything in it, yeah. right? Like microorganisms, because you know we. We think predominantly life largely needs water to yeah. to begin with 
a lot of other things, but we, we, we figure water is one of the more important things. And so when we see water somewhere else, that's a big deal, and we want to go check that out. Yeah. So we are not quite ready to go to Europa yet, but um, I don't think that we would want to necessarily live on Europa unless you really like cold environments. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, you would be in a biodome anyway, and it, it would be climate controlled. Right. Yeah. That, that's just, that's so strange to me that, like, even though it's that far away from the sun that it would have liquid water on it at all. Yeah, so that's that's uh, definitely, like, whenever we have even better telescopes to be yeah. able to see moons around exoplanets or at least be able to study them, you know, that's a place we can look to yeah. because that if they, it's, you know, that gravity pulling on it is not uh, specific to just Jupiter. Anything the, uh, that meets those conditions can heat it up that way. So could that mean in a, a different galaxy or something, if it had the same conditions where it had that stretching heating? Yeah. Could that mean that a planet could sustain human life, even if it's not in the Goldilocks kind of zone that is in the solar system that we have now? If if conditions are right, yes. Okay. Yeah. it's The surface would be very, very cold. Yeah. Like, no, ma- no matter what, if it, okay. if it doesn't have an atmosphere above, it will be cold. Um, if it does have an atmosphere above, it could trap some heat if it, uh, if it met the right conditions. It would still be pretty cold. Yeah. But, I mean, as long as you have the conditions for whatever that life develops on, yeah, yeah. It can, it can live technically anywhere in theory, yeah. but <laughs> we haven't found it yet, so maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, do you, I don't know if this is exactly related to, to that, but, um, I know you said we, we see, you know, distant planets with with the wobbles and and the lights how close do we get to seeing these exoplanets and and things like you see pictures and uh are they just all artist renderings of what we think they look like or do we have actual images from these moons Um, yeah they're they're pretty much all artist recreations um so we just kind of uh it's it's kind of artist and kind of based on the light we see we can kind of guess what's there so there's this there's this one one planet that i that i found in my research that was pretty interesting so it is it is a about a kind of a neptune sized planet mm-hmm. so not you know a gas giant but not a terribly big one and it has we think we notice a lot of silicates in it more specifically a magnesium silicate compound Uh um you don't necessarily have to remember that but what that means is uh it reflects blue light when it is in excess in an atmosphere right and we think that we saw enough that we can say this is probably a fairly blue planet um another thing about that planet you know it has it has winds that go five times the speed of sound and all that silicate right it's very close to the star it's all molten so it's raining molten glass sideways on that planet (laughs) (laughs) it's very possible that it is rather yeah so oh wow that definitely does not sound uh not ideal yeah yeah (laughs) you definitely would go under underground for that um i've seen different like i guess stars or uh, what's this giant sun is it beetlejuice or am i imagining yeah beetlejuice is a red giant okay Uh, are there ways of telling if there's planets around those yeah yeah um so the types of stars that we look at like we don't really want to so red giant stars are Mm -hmm. in like the later phase of their life they're dying yeah um, we're not as interested in those. It's not impossible, but we're not as interested yeah. in those. Um, some of the main targets that astronomers look at mainly are red dwarf stars. Um, and just a little vocabulary, dwarf just means a normal star. Yeah. <laughs> like, except for white dwarf. Yeah. Because astronomers are really bad at naming things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Dwarf stars, our sun is a yellow dwarf. Um, It's considered a yellow dwarf because of its temperature. Um, We look a lot around... Is the color or the the dwarf, sorry, Um, for the temperature? The color. The color. Yeah, yeah, the color. Um, Because our our sun's 
pretty white, but because of its temperature, we call it yellow. Okay. Um, but and red dwarf stars, they're a lot tinier. They're a lot cooler, um, and they're you know in their main phase, so they're burning hydrogen into helium. Yeah. Is we, there like an orange somewhere in between? Or mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. There's so it's kind of like red, orange, yellow, peach, white, cyan, blue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. And do they all? They will all be in a stage of that at some point in their life. So so those are just different temperature of stars. Okay. So there's different temperatures. There's different life stages. So they might just be uh, a red dwarf their entire existence. Red, yeah, so red dwarfs, um, red dwarfs live a very, very long time because yeah. they're very cool. They're very small. Um, they're probably going to be the last stars to die. Okay. Um, and they will eventually die. Uh, they will shed their outer layer and leave a white dwarf behind. But that's deviating a little <laughs> bit. But that just sounded so. like, yeah, it got sad. It's a eulogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we look at red dwarf stars, though, yeah. because they do live a long time. Um, and because they're so small, the wobble can be yeah. more noticeable. Uh-huh. And the planets that orbit them are going to be closer, so they orbit faster. Mm-hmm. Now... Honestly, that's pretty much where, in my opinion, it should end with why we look at red dwarfs, because on the other hand, red dwarfs can be very active, and because the planets are so close and the star is, like, burping up material, ends up sterilizing the planet, you know, so it's not great for life to be around a red dwarf, but it's really easy to find planets around a red dwarf. Um, And then we want to look at yellow dwarfs, like our sun, because... Well, we're here, and yeah. we have a yellow dwarf star. Mm-hmm. So um, so those are the main two that we look around. Um, now, I want to I make sure that I mention this before we uh, go further, because it was the coolest thing that I have ever heard of oh. in, in, sci- in, in my studies ever. <laughs> um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the first exoplanet ever discovered... Mm-hmm was in 1992 by uh, Alexander Volzhin and Dale Frail. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't looking for exoplanets. They were looking at what's called a pulsar. And, a pul- again, astronomers really bad at naming things yeah. because a pulsar is just a neutron star. We, we talked about a neutron star very briefly in the black hole uh, show. So go back and listen to it. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it's just a it's just a, uh, a neutron star that's spinning very yeah, very yeah. fast and throwing radiation out. Okay. Um, but and it's very it's very timely. Yeah. It's very periodic. We use we now use pulsars for a lot of things in science, including looking for gravitational waves because they are so regular. Yeah. And if they aren't regular, then something is wrong. And so, um, so they were looking at this neutron star, and they noticed that the the time between the sweeps were varying, and it's not supposed to vary. So they looked, and they found planets around that yeah. neutron star, and those were the first planets, exoplanets discovered. Now we probably thought that they existed, like the black holes thing, where we're like, yeah, it probably exists. We just have to image it. Right? Yeah. We have to find it. Um, so it was, it was around a neutron star, a dead star, right? And yeah. for a long time, it just had like a sciencey name, like the PSR and then, yeah, the yeah, yeah. um, eventually in 2015, uh, NASA put out a like citizen science thing, I'll call it, um, basically where they get normal people involved in science yeah. in certain ways. And they said, name name this system for us. <laughs> yeah. And because it was around a dead star, yeah. the names that won is the star's name is now Lich, right? Okay. Which is like a uh, an undead, like, magic person who raises <laughs> the dead, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's Lich, mm. and the names of the planets are Draugr, which is a like a Scandinavian mummy. 
uh, Poltergeist, yeah. which uh-huh. is a ghost, and Phobiter, which is the god of nightmares. Oh, jeez. So that that is that <laughs> system. The first system found is Lich, Draugr, Poltergeist, and Phobiter. <laughs> That's very foreboding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Today now they we didn't have, just go straight Death Star they, for one of them. They didn't, but we <laughs> yeah. do on a, on Pluto's moon Sharon. Yeah. There's a little area that looks like Mordor, and so they called it Mordor. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there you go. The scientists are naming them well there. Yeah, yeah. But they know exactly what it looks like now. Other than other than that, no, we're, they're bad. Yeah. Astronomers are bad at naming things. Um. So yeah, that was that was ages ago. Eleven, no, twenty, th- thirty-one years later, <laughs> um, we now have confirmed five thousand exoplanets. Okay, yeah. So, and I say f- like confirmed five thousand. There's still ten thousand more that yeah. were like maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah, but I that that's kind of what I was trying to say at the beginning is I, I was looking and I saw on NASA's website there's 5,000 well, however many confirmed planets. Right. But I was trying to find like the name of a planet. Couldn't really find any. Yeah. For the most part you're going to see those like if you look on the back of your router and you see the password for it that's <laughs> yeah. what it's going to look like. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's because we name it um, so it's either named after the star that it's around um, or it is named using, like, the first bit is the catalog that it belongs to, and the number following it would be, mm-hmm. you know, what object that is. How, like, it is like the 2,300th object found in that catalog. Uh-huh. And so they just go with that, yeah. because why name every single one? Yeah. <laughs> Only the special ones get right. named. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's, and, like, even if they do have names, you have to end up digging a little deeper. I know some some planets, I was like, this looks promising to find, and I had to work really hard to find the paper on it. Yeah. Uh, the first paper for its discovery. Um, they're not good at organizing things either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess we were talking a little bit about life on uh, what it would be to sustain life on other planets and kind of finding uh, in the water, seeing if there's, you know, life even in the water. Right. Have we found anything, like, even on Mars, on dirt, or have we found anything on even, like, shrapnel coming from space? Have we found anything? I mean, I guess we've seen ice, but right. that's a good sign. But anything other than that, any kind of... Unfortunately, I wish I, wish I yeah. could say we did, but we haven't. Um, it's... On on Mars, we've sent several rovers there. We know Mars once had water, which mm-hmm. is you know one of the first things we look for. We're not a hundred percent sure what Mars's atmosphere was during that time. Yeah, um, if it had all those other components that we have to have started life on Earth, um, but we haven't since the water is not there anymore and Mars is hostile to life now, um, as we know it. We're looking now instead in the riverbeds for fossilized bacteria, fossilized right. uh, plant life, if it even got that far. Um, and so that's that's pretty much the saving grace for Mars. Now we think there's you know we think w- there's water in places on Mars because there's just evidence seasonally that there's water somewhere in the soil on Mars, but. Um, you know, the, or the, the rovers that we have on Mars weren't made to dig down in there. Um, not very far. So it's really, really to get our hands real into the soil. We have to send people there. Mm -hmm. Um, so we haven't found, we haven't found any sign of life so far in our solar system. And we may have found indicators that possibly life could be, on certain other exoplanets that we found. Um, now, for this, like, if we can't if we can't figure out definitively if there's life on Mars without sending people there, yeah. you know, we have to get creative with how we determine if another if a, a planet outside our solar system has life. Yeah. So what we do to find those those indications 
is we use something called spectroscopy. Now, what, what, what that simply means is we wait for the star's light to either come through the planet's atmosphere mm-hmm. or bounce off of the planet's atmosphere and go into our cameras, in, into our telescopes. And when it does, we spread the light apart into a rainbow, right? Because white light is red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. So we split it up, and there will be chunks missing from that spectrum and what that is is every element every molecule has a fingerprint so when light hits it it can absorb that light and get excited and then re-release that light in another direction right so that chunk is now taken out of the light that reaches us and when we spread that across we can look at and say that's probably this element so that's how we know whether like that whether an exoplanet has methane, whether it has a magnesium silicate, whether it has carbon dioxide, whether it has oxygen. That's the only method we have, really. So um, is it only able to tell one? No, no. Okay. So the 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 devil the, the the difficult thing about it is that I I I, I did simplify it when. Star's light already has chunks missing out of it because that light had to come through the star. It's interacting with objects uh, before it finally can get out of the star. And then it hits the planet. Now it's interacting with that stuff. And then it comes across the solar system or, or the galaxy. It could be interacting with other things in between, right? And so when it gets to us, there's a lot missing out of it. And we have to figure out what belongs to what. Now, what belongs to the star, that's pretty easy. We just look at it normally and we'll say okay we need to get rid of these things and see what's left um and yeah so it's 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 not one thing at a time it's everything all at once yeah um and yeah that's that's the primary method we use to look for life and we found some things what we're looking for on other exoplanets are called biosignatures or biomarkers so these are things like methane, oxygen, um, have we found oxygen compounds. on other moons or anything? We have found oxygen on other exoplanets. Now, for a time, astronomers were headstrong that saying like if we find oxygen, we have found life. Right, and that was the prevailing idea for a while. But then, you know, some people had to come along and say, "Well, maybe not." Yeah, and it's because it's true. Maybe not. Yeah. There, there are some what's called abiotic ways of making oxygen, and that just means uh, oxygen not made from living things. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, one of one of the biggest things, especially if the planet has water, is water comes up into the atmosphere. If the atmosphere doesn't have like uh, nitrogen in it. Um, uh, if the atmosphere doesn't have nitrogen in it to react with uh, the with with water, bring it back, and the water brings the nitrogen back down, or what have you, light from the star itself will break the water apart. Right. So photons come in, and there's these bindings that connect hydrogen and oxygen together. Uh-huh. A photon comes in and just breaks it right off. Right. So then hydrogen's really light, goes out into space, and the oxygen is left there. And so then people would look at it and be like, whoa, that's, that's oxygen. That shouldn't be there. It's very reactive. It's, it would have combined with something else, right? Uh, but it's like, no, no, there's ways that it could be. So, yeah, it's, there's, there's a – while it is a biosignature that we could be looking for, we need more than that. Now, if there is oxygen – and methane at the same time, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. That is a big deal because uh, oxygen would combine with a plethora of other things. Methane would break down. So if there's oxygen and there's methane, two things that don't last long in an atmosphere by themselves, something's supplying both. And here on Earth, life supplies both. Okay. So... Um, that's that's just one of the combinations. There are other things as well, but uh, that's a big kicker. Yeah. Uh, but we haven't found that. 
So I don't I don't know if that if you know this, but uh, that web telescope that's out there, yeah, is what's like the the end game goal? Is that to get images of exoplanets and other solar systems? Is that even like fathomable to travel that far? So or travel far enough to get images of any kind? So um, so we're, we're, we're we stick pretty close to James Webb. It, it stays in our solar system. Okay. Um, it it is in orbit around the sun. Um, either a little bit ahead or a little bit behind the Earth in the Earth's orbit. Um, and that's that's just kind of where it stays, and then yeah. it looks out. Um, but the big deal about it is it has a great resolution. It can gather a lot of light, and gathering a lot of light is gathering a lot of information. Uh-huh. So the big thing with James Webb is it's going to make getting these spectra from these stars and exoplanets easier and more data. I was looking through some some uh, some spectra that people gathered from uh, a certain exoplanet that we that we like to look at. I think it's K two, but um, and so like beforehand with our other telescopes, it was like oh, there's ten data points. Oh, there's one data point, and then you see James Webb. Oh, there's three thousand data oh, points. Yeah. Oh, there's five thousand data <laughs> points. So, and that that gave a lot more information uh, about that planet. Is so, that something that they can like kind of instantly get, or is that something they have to go through files and put together? Or like, are the are the ideas we're getting something like when they send the information back, are they able to look at it and tell, or does it take a while to? It takes a little while. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's it's it's. You know, there's programs that probably help make it a little easier, but then they have to look at the spectra. They have to decide what's noise. They have to decide what's probably what like belongs to the planet. They have to study it a lot of times. You know, cut twice or measure twice, cut once. Yeah. So they measure dozens of times. Yeah. So it it, it can take a while and. Uh, especially in this field where any news that gets out gets proliferated and, uh, you know, f- fantasized very quickly. Yeah. Um, they, they're, they're trying to be very careful with what they say they do and don't find. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this other exoplanet. The, I, I, I looked it up because it was, it was one that you asked about, the diamond planet. Okay, yeah. Right? And so I was I was looking for it, and I started with like websites that would say Diamond Planet, like <laughs> yeah. Forbes or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, so what's the name of this exoplanet? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the NASA catalog database. I'm going to look for the research papers, and that one took me a while to find. I don't know why it was so buried, but um, on that paper. It's so funny how tentative this guy was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was like, he was like, this is a really carbon-rich star, yeah. and this planet's really close, so it could have a large amount of carbon. But you know, the convention is I have <laughs> to say that it's actually more Earth-like, but it's it could be it could be a lot of carbon. And then people see that somebody somebody who knows a little bit about science sees that, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "I can make a headline out of this." Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's really close. It's really big. That's a lot of heat. That's a lot of pressure. What happens when you do that? You get diamonds out of carbon, right? <laughs> yeah. So he's like, "These the certain underneath the surface is on oh, is yeah. diamonds." Yeah. <laughs> and here the guy is like, "Maybe I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe carbon." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so um, they 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 take a while to suss through the data. Yeah. So uh, James Webb has been up for uh, a, a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, it was either twenty one or twenty two that it was uh, finally launched, and it's it's being it wants to be used by a lot of different people. So mm-hmm. it's undergoing a lot of different types of uh, of research. And so, you know, people have to wait their turn to use the telescope. And then when they (laughs) collect the data, it takes a while because they'll want multiple passes of the planet. And depending on how far away it is, like if it's a proper Earth-like planet around a proper sun-like star, Mm -hmm. it takes us a year, an Earth year, 365 Earth days to get around the sun. Mm -hmm. So that means every pass they have to wait a year to get more data, (laughs) right? So it's it's 
uh, exoplanetary research is a patient man's game. Yeah. So um, they, it, it can take a while. So even with James Webb up there, we don't have a whole lot from it yet. Um, but what we do get from it is at least promising in terms of what it can do. Because like I said, it, it can collect a lot more data than its predecessors. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be an invaluable tool. But it's not going to be perfect for looking at Earth-sized planets mm-hmm. because, you know, it has great resolution, but Earth-like planets are smaller, yeah. right? It's really good at looking at bigger planets, super-Earths, which are like five to ten times the size of the Earth. It's good at looking at those. Um, but they're actually preparing a, another telescope to go up. I forget its name, but they're projecting 2050 oh, <laughs> is wow. when that one would go up. <laughs> Um, but of course, James Webb was like delayed f- like several times. Yeah. So who knows? But um, at least I'll maybe still be alive when that goes up. So is that something you you can see? Well, I guess maybe then. But uh, are we gonna see like detailed pictures of, of planets outside the solar system? I still don't know if it'll be good enough to be able to get pictures like that because it's still it's still very very far away we have strong very strong telescopes that even if you just uh like look normally at the moon it, you'd be hard pressed to see the flag on the moon yeah so if it's really really small you're going to need really really good resolution to get detailed images like what we have of the planets in our solar system i'm not saying that it's impossible i don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime but who knows you know if say there were a million people on the closest planet outside right. of our solar system, would we even know? Yes, I mean ju- just from the gas or whatever, we wouldn't be able to see though. So we would know in several different ways, okay. especially if they're like us, right? Because not only are we looking for biosignatures on other planets, uh, there's a there's a sect of people who are looking for techno signals on other planets. So that's just what they put out. So here on Earth, we've had radio for like 80 to 100 years, right? And when we started sending out those signals, and it worked by an antenna that put out the the, uh, radio waves that then another antenna... Sorry. You're good. (laughs) Another antenna (laughs) captures... um, That's not just a beam, right? That is a sphere... Yeah. of uh, radio waves, microwaves going outward. So not only does it get to where you want it to go, it goes out into space. Yeah. So Earth is surrounded by a shell of radio waves and microwaves that is 200 light years across. Yes, 200 light years across, mm-hmm. right? The closest exoplanet to us, if we... Uh, just for the sake of discussion, say that there were people like us on that planet, their signals would only take four years to get to us. Oh, okay. So we are pretty, we are pretty spread out. We, we, uh, there are a couple solar systems that is within the shell of the radiation that we've emitted. Um, but our, our galaxy itself is 100,000 light years across. So we have only covered one fiftieth of it since radio was invented. Oh wow! Um, so there's so we would know if the closest was to us, but if there was someone, if there was an alien civilization that was just as advanced as us at the same period as us, yeah. and having this same conversation, if we were listening for it for that inf- that for that radiation to come to us we would not know for a hundred thousand years so yeah so it's there you know there's a lot of things that could be in our galaxy but there's a lot of time before you know there's there's a lot of looking that we still have to do yeah so just because we haven't found it yet you know it doesn't mean that it's unlikely i mean could it could it even be that say we look at it and we finally get to the planet and could there be statues of a of a civil civilization that died hundreds of thousands of years ago that still had some kind of i don't know uh, uh, ruins behind right but the whole 
I don't know, atmosphere is different because it got hit with a meteor or something. Right. Yes. Okay. So that's that's mainly why we're also looking at younger systems mm-hmm. because that means that those planets would have only formed like our solar system is four billion years old. It is middle aged. Yeah. So it took us half the lifespan of our solar system to get to where we are now. So we want to look at young solar systems because we could also go out at any day from asteroids, from ourselves, in another billion, you know, this Earth's probably only going to be habitable for another billion years yeah. um, before the sun gets to a point where it's less hospitable for us. Um, so life is fleeting. Um, so we would be lucky to see it, mm-hmm. um, but... If there was around, if life existed around another solar system, and we somehow had the means to get to it, absolutely, they could still have the statues there. Yeah, especially if the planet isn't really geologically active anymore, uh, meaning that like tectonic plates bring stuff yeah, down yeah. underneath, and that pretty much wipes the slate of history. Yeah, because it all just gets melted. And <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um. One thing I saw for life, and I didn't search this recently, but I thought of it while you were talking. Um, I don't know exactly. Are, are they called tardigrades? Yes. Okay. Are Little they, water bears. Yeah. So are they, can they survive outside? I thought I remember seeing something about a tardigrade on like an asteroid or something, or they can. Yeah. So tardigrades are or one survive of, in space or something like that. Yeah, they're one of what we call extremophiles, mm-hmm. and extremophiles are not just what we call the people at the X Games. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's these are organisms that can survive in situations that humans could never dream of surviving in. Yeah. There are extremophiles in volcanic vents under our ocean. Yeah. Um. There are there could be extremophiles in up you know up in the North Pole. That's pretty. Yeah. Big, but they can survive in even more intense conditions. Um, If there were tardigrades on uh, a planet around another solar system that spun so slowly that, you know, one side gets really, really hot, the other side gets really, really cold, they just hibernate through the cold and they wake back up and whatever they do for heat, if if they can survive heat. But yeah, they could even make it through. Uh, through space if if it was a quick enough ride. Um, I don't know how long they could survive. Uh, I thought about looking that up, but then I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was actually one of the ideas of how life came to Earth. By It's not one that I personally subscribe to, but it's a good thought experiment. Um, it's called transpermia. Okay. And it's this idea that Mars had life before Earth mm-hmm. and something impacted Mars and the material get that gets thrown up yeah. after the impact could have extremophiles on it, and mm-hmm. it would survive the trip and land on Earth and then multiply there. Um, again, it's not one I personally subscribe to, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I guess that's possible. But so they're saying a tardigrade could be an alien. It could, yeah. We could, we all could be aliens, but we were aliens that developed together. So yeah, um, in that case, <laughs> right? So. Um, yeah, there could be, uh, that's the thing about it, is we think, like, we have to find life as we know it, right. and, th- you know, that we have the most information on life as we know it, but there could be conditions that other organisms could survive with that right. we are overlooking because we're just not as familiar with it. Yeah. So, you know. There's, there's tons of possibilities, and I think we have to exhaust a lot of things before we get there. And, and this, this science yeah. uh, of exoplanetary research is pretty young yeah. in, uh, in the large scheme of things. Yeah. I guess one of the, the last things I want to ask you is I, I remember just hearing about this. Well, I guess I was watching something, and it was talking about how the universe is expanding yeah. and always growing and i guess that means the space in between us and the nearest things are getting further apart too exactly yeah. so it does that mean if we don't kind of make hay while the sun shines we're gonna miss out on this and they're gonna be too far for us to so see anymore the good news is that for as long as our galaxy can survive um, our galaxy is never really going to break apart. Okay. Um, however, other galaxies, 
uh, they will go off to never be able to go to. Like it's it would be you'd be hard pressed to get to another galaxy now. It would be impossible to get to another galaxy once that space starts drifting apart. Yeah. Um, but they those galaxies are also kind of gravitationally bound, so it would be quite a long time, and they might all just be one galaxy at that point. Um, because galaxies over time they they combined. Yeah. So like. Um, uh, trying to think of another thing that gets larger over time through just congregation. But um, our gal- our galaxy got to the size that it is from past smaller galaxies colliding into each other. Andromeda is going to collide into us in about 4 billion years. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of galaxies. So we could all be one galaxy, but if, what happens, if it's all together, we're yeah. we're we're gonna have we're gonna have our system. What we'll would happen galaxy. when they collide? Just all the planets, and things, whatever hits hits, and so the good whatever news the is, biggest is survives. I guess if we survived, if humans survived and were living during the collision of the Milky Way and Andromeda, yeah, we'd probably be fine. There's so much space yeah, in yeah. between stars that the galaxies will just kind of pass through each other and they'll just, uh, you know, combine yeah. and go apart and they'll be throwing material everywhere. What would it be like if you had a handful of sand and I had a handful of sand and we just threw it from across the room at each other and like... Yeah, the, the, sand, the sand would yeah. come together and then go pass through each other, yeah. but magically it would come back together again okay. and keep doing that <laughs> oh, until okay. it is orbiting, like until it's just all one galaxy. Oh, so it wouldn't pass through and then keep going. No, no, it, it would, would, it would yeah, they are, they, are, they are attracted, they are coming yeah. together because they are attracted to each other. And So what if we did it with magnet chips instead of sand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might in not be right a magic conditions. tape. <laughs> in a way. But, uh, you know, they've actually named yeah. that future galaxy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Give you one one chance to guess it. Um, the mummy returns. No. Um, Milk Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. That's that's, that's like uh, during, like, World War Two. The, the Steelers and the Eagles, the, the football teams had to combine in Pennsylvania – and they were called the Steagles. That's almost <laughs> as bad as that. It is one hundred percent. Yeah. So that was Wait, obviously what was it? Milk Dromeda. Milk Dromeda. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, but good, we have four yeah. billion years to think of a new name. So yeah. We got that going for us. Milky Way is cool, and Andromeda is cool by itself. It is. Yeah. They got to think of yeah something else. <laughs> but James, where can uh, everybody find you if they want to find? Uh, your fly science guy they can find us at flyscience.net um last time i was here i did say it was a bit derelict i'm actually uh making some new pages on it they're not up yet but (laughs) they will be eventually Uh um so that's mainly where you will find us uh and of course at the pierce planetarium in Clarion, uh, I'll sometimes do shows there, but that's that's my alma mater's planetarium, and they do shows all the time and for free. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, definitely uh, sounds like a good time. I wouldn't stop out. Are there any? Uh, I don't know if you would know this. Are there like a dark star parks or anything out that way? Um, there is. I don't know about out that way. I would have to look. Yeah. Um, one I know by heart is Cherry Springs. Okay, that is in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's yeah. more north. So that's that's a dark, uh, a dedicated dark zone. And, you know, people take their telescopes there all the time. So even if you don't have a telescope and you go, uh, a lot of times amateur astronomers love to share their telescopes with yeah, you. So okay. they'll, they'll, yeah. yeah, it's 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 always a good time. Yeah, I think so. I was talking to you about uh, uh, taking a telescope, and you're like, no, people are going to want you to see theirs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you don't, if you have a telescope, of course yeah. bring it. If you yeah. don't, go anyway. You yeah, know? yeah. Absolutely. But uh, thank you for taking the time to talk exoplanets and some possible life on other planets, although I guess... Uh, Nothing too exciting that not, we know of yet. Not yet. Yes. Not but yet. We were saying earlier, we, we find something new out every single day. And, hey, maybe we'll find a, a civilization that is better than us, and they'll find us. Yeah, and we then they'll ignore us that. because they see what we're doing. <laughs> <Yeah. so. laughs> 
Uh, but uh, yeah, follow James, follow uh, Poor Man's Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff, TikTok. Uh, we're going to try to put a reel together maybe about uh, some exoplanets and you know spread the word all of right. uh, the good science for it. But James, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. This oh, yeah. This is a blast. I, uh, I love it talking about this and like i said as soon as you get here and i start thinking about things i get like excited about it (laughs) thank you very much and uh for james i'm chris thank you for listening i'm gonna say i'm so happy yeah that i was allowed to be part of your day thanks for listening thanks for listening we hope you had a good time if you did, be sure to subscribe to the show to catch the latest episodes and share with your friends. We can't promise not to embarrass you. And if you just can't get enough, follow us on Instagram at Poor Man's Podcast 412, Twitter at Poor Man's Pod 412, and Facebook. This is Pittsburgh's own Poor Man's Podcast signing off. See you next week. In my opinion, that sucked. Woo! Woo! Four Man's Podcast, the best podcast in Pittsburgh. Straight cash, homie.